0: Welcome to Grain Talk, a podcast by Grain Farmers of Ontario. I'm Megan McKimmy.
1: And I'm Rachel Telford.
0: This is our uh, first podcast at Green Farmers of Ontario. We thought we would introduce ourselves to you guys a little bit. So I'm Megan McKimmy, and I work in our communications department at Green Farmers of Ontario. Um, I do a lot more of our farmer-focused stuff, uh, so that means you've probably seen me at farm shows and events across the province. Um, I do a lot of planning for those, uh, as well as attending to talk to our farmer members Um, I also do a lot of social media um, and radio updates for the for grain farmers, um, as well as a lot of writing. So I I do writing for the magazine as well as help out other departments um, and also with their events. And uh, media relations is another important thing we do. So we're trying to get out and talk to media and support them and um, just be a resource for them to tell the good stories about what grain farmers are doing across the province.
1: And I'm Rachel Telford. I'm the managing editor of the Ontario Grain Farmer magazine. So that's that magazine that ends up in your mailbox 10 times a year. I work with a team of freelancers and staff writers here at Grain Farmers of Ontario to put together the stories that uh, make up every issue, um, some of those ideas that we get from the magazine come from when I attend farm shows and other events uh, and meet with you, the farmer members, and find out what's important to you. Also talking with our industry partners about uh, some of the research and the news that they'd like to share with, with our farmer members. Another part of my role here at Grain Farmers of Ontario is I'm the communications coordinator of publications, which means that any of the other printed materials that we have, I typically have a hand in. One project we're working on right now is our annual report, and that's a wrap-up of how we spent your checkoff fees over the past year and highlights of the activities that each of the departments here has been working on and sort of how we've met uh, our strategic goals that we've set forward for the organization.
0: So that's us, and every time we do this podcast, we're going to hope to start it off uh, with a little bit of a news update and what's going on across the province that's uh, important to grain farmers. So this week, uh, we're going to be talking about the election because that's coming up Pretty soon, June seventh. Yes, very soon. Uh, so, I guess the poll results have started to come out, and we're we're seeing some stuff that way, right, Rachel?
1: So it's very interesting that uh, we started this election campaign with everybody saying that Doug Ford and the progressive conservatives had a lock on the election. And now the polls are saying that the NDP is actually in the lead. And the latest poll from forum research actually shows that they could end up with a majority government. And that could be surprising to a lot of people. But we had a special guest at the delegate semi-annual meeting back in March, Bruce Anderson. And Bruce is the chairman of polling firm Abacus Data. And he's a public affairs consultant and commentator. And when he spoke with us, what he actually said was that He wouldn't be surprised at all if the NDP ended up with uh, a win because he said that basically if they ran a crisp campaign and if they focused on the issues that uh, people would come out and vote for them. So, I mean, to some people, this isn't surprising at all.
0: So I thought it was pretty interesting that everyone thinks that uh, this could be a bit of a surprise, but I like what Anderson said, that there's never enough data to support a surprise outcome until the surprise outcome happens. So I guess we shouldn't... uh, totally discount the NDP yet. Cause um, there, there's some stuff could be changing.
1: There are some other polls as well that basically have the NDP and the conservatives neck and neck. And it all depends on the seat allocation and, and where they win and, and if they can pull out uh, the majority government or not, or even a minority government. Um, it'll just, we'll just have to wait and see. We know that in the last election um, it was pretty much red in downtown Toronto and then blue, with a little bit of orange elsewhere. And so you know it could end up being the reverse where everywhere that was red is now orange and then you know there could be some pc areas that are that are lost depending on uh, you know how people feel about Doug Ford as the leader and and what they're expecting in terms of the issues because that was one thing as well that Bruce Anderson said is that the issues are really going to matter this election you can't just be a candidate for change unless you actually explain what that change is and You know, we have actually approached the politicians and asked them to say, what are you going to be doing for farmers? And because we as Grain Farmers of Ontario have some of our own election asks.
0: Yeah. um, So some of our election asks that we have put out, we haven't actually heard any response from them from our candidates yet, but um, we put this out to the candidates and we had um, some priorities that we wanted them to really focus on. Uh, So we were hoping that the new premier, uh, we'll devise a growth strategy for the grains and oilseed sector. We uh, are looking at risk management again. Uh, so that would be around BRM programming that will really work for uh, modern grains and oilseed farmers. Um, so public trust is another important thing for us. And we're hoping for some funding uh, for a your farm idea, which is a agri-education facility um, we're also looking at trade. So we want the new premier to be an advocate for grains. Um, and we're also asking a, an ad here as looking at fuel. So Ontario farmers, we want them to have an exemption on farm fuel costs associated with climate change regulations.
1: And that's that has sort of been in the news lately, too, in terms of uh, Doug Ford saying that he would scrap sort of the, the cap and trade uh, costs that uh, have been, you know, agreed to already. Um, And there's some concern about how he would actually go about doing that. So it, you know, I think our asks are in line with a lot of what uh,
0: is actually, you know, of concern to other people in the province as well. Yeah, not just farmers. We're hearing about some of this stuff already. So,
1: And interesting you said that we haven't heard any official response from any of the candidates yet. Uh, we actually asked all of them to come to our March Classic back in March, and the only person who did was Andrea Horwath.
0: She spent about 10 to 15 minutes talking to our farmers Uh, Started out with a bit of an outline about sort of where the Wynn government is missing the mark with Ontario farmers. And she spent some time talking about the Doug Ford platform as well. But I think um, what she outlined and how she will help rural Ontario and Ontario grain farmers, she chatted about hydro costs. And that's sort of something we've been talking about across the province and not just in agriculture. But she plans to reduce those and and bring Hydro One under public ownership. She talked a lot about entrepreneurs as well, so how farmers are entrepreneurs and and a a better drug and dental plan coverage can really help rural Ontario in that way. Um, And she talked about expanding natural gas while still being sustainable and responsible. So this kind of ties into using Ontario-grown biofuels. But I think overall we really just... um, she was the only one that came out and, and chatted.
1: It's interesting because they just had their debate yesterday as well. Yeah. And, and that was sort of along the same lines where they spent more time attacking each other than they did actually explaining their policies. The one thing that I did read in the news is that Doug Forbes was planning to make an actual farmer uh, the Minister of Agriculture, if, if he was uh, the next Premier. So yeah. I find that interesting. I mean, I know in rural Ontario there's a lot of candidates that uh, could fill that role, mm-hmm. uh, whether or not they're actual farmers or just have that connection to the farm, even that's, that's missing from a lot of uh, urban candidates right now. Yeah. So, I mean, we had a time when Kathleen Wynne was the – uh, Minister of Agriculture. And I think that was good for her to, you know, learn a bit more about our sector and, and sort of get a little bit more upfront and, and close to some of the issues that we're dealing with. But we, I don't think that we saw as good of a result as maybe we were hoping for when she had her term as Minister of Agriculture. So it will definitely be something to uh, keep an eye on and, and see what happens with this election. So again, Election Day is June seventh. And one thing that Bruce Anderson also mentioned was that, uh, you know, getting out to vote is really important because one of the problems they have with polls these days is they can't be sure on in terms of who is going to turn out to vote. And that's really going to have an impact on this election.
0: Yeah, there's a lot more millennials. They're outnumbering baby boomers now. So that's sort of changing the demographic of of who's going to be out to vote. And millennials, I think we've seen that are less likely to vote, but there's way more of them now. So I think until we get to election day, in some ways, the polls are useful and it's telling us something, but we don't really know what what the outcome is going to be. So you got to get out and vote and, and cast your ballot for who you think is really in line with uh, what you're looking for from, from our premier in the province.
1: Coming up next, we're going to have a feature in-depth interview with Nicole McKellar, our Manager of Market Development, and that's going to be a standard part of our podcast every episode. We're going to talk with somebody from within the agriculture industry and really get to know who they are and deal with some of the important issues of the day. <laughs>
0: All right. So we're uh, here with Nicole McKellar, Manager of Market Development at Grain Farmers of Ontario. And she is also the recipient of the 2017 Nuffield Canada Scholarship. So we hope to chat with Nicole today about her Nuffield journey, uh, a little bit more about her family farm and background and her educational journey that got her here to Grain Farmers of Ontario.
1: Nicole, I feel like a lot of people don't know that you're from a family farm
0: yeah you know
2: i'm I'm very fortunate to come from a family farm. Um, my family farm's just outside of Glencoe Ontario We're about uh probably about five kilometers just outside of uh, the town or village i guess of of Glencoe um, and you know we've been there it's hundred and eighty years this year which is is pretty you know phenomenal um, and something we're pretty proud of so uh we're we're going to do a bit of a family event this year just to celebrate that uh that history um you know I'm a proud sixth generation on on the farm um, and even though I, I work full time for Grain Farmers of Ontario So try and get home to the farm as as much as I can. Um, Actually heading out there uh, in a couple of days to help with with planting. Hopefully the weather will uh, cooperate with us and we'll get a couple of sunny days that we can get
1: rolling there. So, what do you do when you go to your family farm? What kind of jobs do they assign you?
2: That is a great question. Um, pretty much anything and everything. Um, uh, my dad's really the, the kind of the sole operator of, of the farm, and, and I'm really there to just lend a, hand in, uh, a helping hand. So, uh, pretty much kind of what, whatever needs to get done. Um, oftentimes, I, I do a lot of the planting. Um, uh, prior to GPS and, and auto steer, my, my dad used to tell me that I had a bit of a straighter eye than he did. So, I got a lot of the planting jobs uh, because of that. But now with auto steer, that's a bit a uh, bit obsolete but um yeah really kind of you know uh, anything that needs to get done um you know whether it's shuttling equipment around planting um you know going to pick up seed fertilizer really anything that can kind of help us uh get going it's it's amazing how having even just one additional person you know how much more work you can you can get done and uh so that's why I try and get home as as much as I can and, and try and you know kind of help help ease some of the burden that's on on my dad trying to do it on his own.
0: And we should have had you in your uh, Canada 150 video, I guess. But, uh,
2: <laughs> that's okay. There's only, a, I think that's a great thing about Ontario. I mean, we've got, you know, some amazing family farms that are just generations and generations. And, you know, I think we highlighted some really great families in, in that video. And it's, you know, it's nice to be able to share, share that with the rest of the province and the rest of the country as well.
0: And uh, do you know how your family first ended up down in the, the Glencoe area and around there?
2: Yeah. So my family is originally from Scotland. um, So uh, proud Scottish history. And um, they came over, you know, 180 years ago. And, and, uh, you know, it's interesting, they actually landed in Port Glasgow, which is Um, probably about, you know, a 25, 30 minute drive from us off of Lake Erie and, uh, you know, kind of migrated their way from, from Port Glasgow um, to where our home uh, farm is settled now. And what's really interesting is, is a couple of years ago, uh, I had the opportunity to go to Scotland and um, actually go and see where my my family's original farm was, was from. And um, it's actually located just outside of Glencoe, Scotland. Um, So then to see our farm located just outside of Glencoe, Ontario was pretty incredible. And, you know, just, just driving around through Scotland, to all the little town names you were seeing are all the the town names that surround Glencoe, Ontario. And so, you know, it it kind of almost felt like, you know, they just kind of picked up where they were from Scotland and just and just moved it over to where we are in Ontario now.
0: And what else do you like to do in your spare time when you're not out at the farm uh, helping out? Oh, great question. Um, really, really love
2: sports. I've always been kind of involved in, in sports even from, uh, from a young age and, and try and kind of stay active that way. Um, during the winter time, uh, curl quite a bit. Um, very proud to say we won our league champions this year um and in the summertime uh really like to get out and golf as much as we can um play beach volleyball um just go for hikes um but probably you know one of my most enjoyable things to do is is spend time with my nieces and nephews i've got four beautiful nieces and and just recently had a had a nephew born and um spending time with them is yeah it's pretty pretty incredible
1: so your love of sports, did that play into your first job that you had with the uh, Canada's only Major League Baseball team, as you like to say?
2: Yeah, it, it did, actually. It, it's, it's kind of interesting um, how, how I, I came to work for the Blue Jays. Um, I went to school at McMaster University, and um, when I was at school, I did a, t- a co-op with the Hamilton Tiger Cats and kind of fell into that because I was taking um, business and marketing at school and you know, kind of knew that I had this love and passion for sports and saw this opportunity for a job in in sports marketing and I thought oh this you know this sounds absolutely perfect and um, you know applied and unfortunately got got hired on there and then through through that got hired on with the Jays um, but no it, it's definitely kind of having that that background passion for sports is definitely what helped me lead lead in that direction.
1: So was it always your intent not to kind of return to the farm and full t- farm full time with your dad?
2: Yeah it's it's a great question and actually one that I get Asked often um, now working in agriculture. Um, To be perfectly honest, when I went to school, I had no intentions of working in agriculture. And it's not that I, you know, didn't love growing up on the farm. I I absolutely enjoyed it, and I'm so appreciative that I had that upbringing. But I just didn't really see it as a career choice. Um, And to be honest, I don't know why I I didn't really, you know, look at it. I don't know if it's because my sister had decided to go into agriculture, and I maybe kind of wanted to take a little bit of a different stream. But yeah, I just never really thought of it. But it. You know, it's funny how life kind of brings you back to your roots. And, you know, now here I am and and couldn't be happier to be working in agriculture.
0: And you do. um, I've seen uh, out and about and talking to students and and different people about your journey and working in ag. Uh, Can you tell us a bit more about that?
2: Yeah, I've been really, really fortunate to have the opportunity to, to present to a number of uh, different groups. Oftentimes, um, they'll either be, you know, um, school-aged children or uh, high school-aged. Um, uh, I've spoken at a couple of women in ag conferences, just a bit a bit about my journey, I think, maybe because it's, it's a bit unique on how I got into agriculture and, and just the different roles that I've, I've had. But, um, you know, it's one of the things that I enjoy doing the most, um, especially with kids, just to see the next generations coming up and to let them know that, you know, you don't have to have a defined path of what you want to do. Um, You know, you might think that you have interest in this and and then you might find out after a little while that you want to try something else and and there's nothing wrong with that. And, um, you know, life will take you on this journey. And as as long as you kind of just roll with it, you know, there's amazing opportunities that are going to come, come.
1: Did you find that your time away from agriculture has given you a different perspective on how you approach your role that you currently have here at Grain Farmers?
2: Yeah, it, it definitely does. I, I, you know, really appreciate the time that I that I had with the Toronto Blue Jays. And um, I lived in Toronto at that time when I, I worked for them. And, and the same building that I lived in, Amiad. I know, which is crazy. Uh, We found that out. I thought that was awesome. Um, And I think, you know, being kind of a country kid and and immersing yourself in this big city of Toronto was just an eye opening experience. Um, You know, I think sometimes we're maybe a little bit sheltered out in in the country and and it was just a great exposure to, you know, not only different cultures, but just different ways of, of thinking. And I think... You know, one of the biggest things that I took away from that was the need to communicate more about agriculture and communicate it in a way that the everyday consumer can really understand it. Um, and, you know, I, I had a great department that I worked with at the Toronto Blue Jays, um, and I often got asked questions about agriculture, and, you know, it really made me start to think, okay, what, what is it, you know, that we can do to to really allow, you know, people that don't have that connection to the farm understand where food comes from, how it's grown, and, and, and that type of thing. So it was probably kind of my first foyer in, into, the, you know, really kind of seeing the opportunities that are available through that.
1: Is that... Um... Play any role then? I guess in in if we talk a bit about your Nuffield scholarship and and your project that you did in terms of being able to label things, being uh, you know brand things as being Ontario local commodity products. Um, you know that understanding that you had that that sort of information that people are looking for and that people want did that play a role in your?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I really got interested in, in Nuffield um, because I think, you know, we're seeing this large um, kind of movement and, and drive by consumers to want to support local. But oftentimes when people think of local, they think of meats, vegetables and fruit because it, it's easy to see that that's local, right? It's easy to go to a farmer's market and, and pick those items up. It's easy to see uh, cows out in pasture fields or, you know, vegetables growing in fields. But oftentimes people don't think of local when they think of, um, you know, crackers that they're eating or buns that they're eating. And, you know, to me, I really saw that as as a challenge for us as Grain Farmers Ontario, representing grains and oil seeds, because oftentimes our commodities are processed into further ingredients. And so is there, you know, was there a way that we could brand that so that consumers really could recognize that there's there's more to local than just fruits, vegetables and and meat? You know, there's probably a lot of products that they're consuming every day that are local and they're just not aware of it. And, um, you know, Nuffield provided this amazing, you know, vessel to be able to go and, and research, uh, you know, different different kind of regional branding programs around the world to really see is there an opportunity here in Ontario for us to create our own brand uh, and really try and connect with consumers, you uh, you know, in, in, in a better way.
0: And for those of us that might be new to Nuffield, can you tell us a bit more about what exactly it is and how you got involved in that program?
2: Yeah, for sure. So um, Nuffield was uh, created back in the 1950s in, in Canada. It, it was developed by a gentleman named Lord Nuffield, uh, who uh, uh, his original name was William Morris um, from the UK. Uh, he started off as a car manufacturer and then actually later on got into uh, egg equipment. So uh, some people out there might know uh, Nuffield tractors uh, um, for it. But he, he really created this kind of endowment uh, fund to allow uh, farmers and those working in the agriculture industry from around the world to come together and share ideas and and, you know, he was he was he truly believed that by doing that, um, not only would world agriculture kind of, um, uh, you know, progress in, in a better manner, but also agriculture in each individual country that those individuals were, were representing. And so um, the program has grown over the years. Um, I think there's now 12 countries that are actively involved in it. They also have a Nuffield International program. So for those uh, individuals that are interested, but maybe don't have a country specific program, they can they can still apply and um you know, it's just a great way to not only be able to go and, and research a topic that you're interested in and that you think can have a direct impact on agriculture in, in your country. It's a great way to meet people from around the world. Um, you know, the people that I've had the opportunity to meet, have just been absolutely incredible. Um, we all started out as strangers and, and now, you know, I would consider them, you know, pretty much family. Um, and, you know, it's just been an amazing experience so far.
0: And um, how did you first, I guess, get interested in taking your Nuffield journey and applying
2: yeah, I actually got interested. Um, I, I was really lucky. Uh, my manager, uh, Crosby Devitt, who works as the, the vice president of strategic development here at Grain Farmers of Ontario, he was a Nuffield Scholar back in 2012 and, and at the time was, was my manager then as well. And, um, you know, really kind of got to see him experience this journey and just the amazing experiences he, he was having and, um, you know, really kind of got me thinking about it at that at that time. And, um, you know, it, it it took a couple of years just to, to get kind of the timing right and to really kind of... Um, figure out exactly what it was that I would want to focus in on. But it was really through him and kind of the exposure uh, that I got to the Nuffield program by him being a scholar that really kind of garnered my interest and and then really wanted to me to make me want to apply for it.
1: And, you know, part of this scholarship is you have to write a formal report. That's seems a bit intimidating to me that you have to like actually now take all these learnings and put it down on paper. Can you walk us through that process and how you're approaching it? Because that is due this fall, isn't it?
2: Yeah. So part of um, part of the Nuffield experience is, um, you know, you're given this opportunity to be able to travel the world and and gather all this incredible information. But then you are asked to to put it into a report and, and really talk about how, um, you know, the findings that, that you've had from all this trial you've done, how can that really apply to Canadian agriculture? And so um, that's the task that I have in, in front of me now. And, and um, I won't lie, it is, it is a bit daunting. Um, I have not written a, a formal report like this since university. So it's been, it's been a couple of years. But, um, you know, I think kind of the approach that I'm taking to it is is really looking at each of the individual countries that I've gone to and, and, and kind of focusing in on them specifically and then kind of tying it all together. And, and my hope and, and my goal is is that through the report is to be able to put together some recommendations on, on how I think we could build a brand um, for Ontario grain and oilseeds and, and how I think that could really help us as an industry moving forward.
0: And we saw that you, a lot of this is travel and you've been traveling quite a bit all over the world. Can you tell us more about like what countries you've been to and uh, and what you learned and what farmers you visited while you were there? Any interesting experiences yeah. that are kind of way out there?
2: <laughs> yeah, I've been really, really fortunate through through Nuffield. I think it's 13 countries that I've been able to, wow. to travel to. Um, um, part of the Nuffield program, there's there's a, a, a portion of it called a global focus program where you give are given the opportunity to travel with Eight to 10 other Nuffield scholars from around the world. It's a six-week program, so you're traveling for six weeks straight with these individuals, so you get to know each other quite uh, quite well. But um, I was fortunate in the in the program that I went to, um, spent a lot of time in Southeast Asia and China, um, which was fascinating to me. I've never been to China before, but have a lot of interest in it, um, really because I see a lot of opportunities for Ontario grain um, going into China. And You know, it's just a whole other world over there, you know, not just even from population size, but um, just how they operate. Um, They're very much a cashless society. One of the things that we, we found quite interesting is everything is operated on an app there called WeChat. So to pay for things, it's all done through the app. They don't actually want to exchange any cash with you. You get discounts for using the, we, uh, the WeChat app. Um, and so, you know, as as kind of foreigners coming in, you know, that was something really interesting to learn. Um, culturally as well you know it was amazing uh we were able to spend a day um on the great wall and in, in the forbidden city which was was pretty amazing um and so yeah so china was was incredible um and then from there we went uh, into the uk and germany spent some time in the us and then on my individual travels i've been fortunate um, i spent uh, a couple of weeks in australia um, and then actually just recently got back from a trip uh, that went all, the, all throughout the uk and then into ireland as as well um and probably one of the most kind of or one of the strangest experiences has been is, is would be in China and, and, and just eating the food. Um, there was a couple of times where we would be at kind of formal dinners with with um, companies that we had met with. And you really had no idea what you were putting in your mouth. But, uh, you know, you didn't want to be rude and you wanted to respect the food that they had offered you. And so I think we ate some donkey and beef aorta. And I can't think of some of the other crazy things we ate. But that was yeah, that was definitely an experience.
0: <laughs> uh, was there one I guess agriculture related experience that I don't know really stood out to you or something you might not have known that um, maybe is gonna change how your your study or your Nutfield yeah I think
2: you know one thing that was incredible to see is just you know traveling to different countries and, and we were in some developing countries we were in developed countries uh, looking at you know smallholder farms looking at very large large scale farms and it's just we are all facing the same challenges, regardless of our size, regardless of, you know, our, our you know, whether we're developed or a developing country. It, it was incredible to see just, you know aging population is, is a huge thing. Government regulations that are, that are coming in, um, you know, urban sprawl that is occurring. And, you know, I think it got me kind of thinking is, is, you know, if we're all facing these challenges from a world scale, how, how do we work together to try and, to try and, you know, overcome these challenges and, and, you know, I know that's a pretty daunting task to put out there. But, um, you know, I think there's a way if we're all facing this, can we not come together and try and address these, you know, in a more um, kind of cooperative, cooperative manner. Um, I think one of the things that 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 kind of really opened my eyes as well is is traveling throughout um, Europe and and just um, the regulations that have been put in place on farmers there and and i think it's something that we really need to pay attention to here in ontario um you know not saying that perhaps the same regulations could be implemented here but i i think um you know there's the eu has has a a you know, strong kind of appetite for especially environmental-based regulations. And I think, um, you know, we, we've seen some of the, the impacts that that can have. And, and, you know, I think we just need to be very aware of that and cautious of that here in Ontario and, and be a little bit proactive in, in getting our, ourselves prepared for, for some of that, perhaps.
1: So part of your role here at Grain Farmers of Ontario as manager of market development also includes our sustainability portfolio. So how has that sort of increased in recent years? Because that position is fairly new, a couple of years old now at this point. But, you know, we've, we've moved towards it's focusing on sustainability so how how do you see that playing into your overall role here
2: yeah, sustainability has become a, you know, a huge focus for us here at Grain Farmers of Ontario. We, we've got a full-time staff member that's that's dedicated uh, to this. Um, and, you know, I think we we are anticipating that sustainability is just going to continue to grow. Um, we've seen a lot of companies come out and make public declarations in regards to sustainable sourcing. A lot of those companies have made targets by 2020, which really isn't that far away, um, that they want to have 100% of their uh, raw ingredients that they source from sustainable uh, sourcing. And so, you know, I think for us, um, while maybe it seems like a bit of a challenge, I I really think it's an opportunity for us. I mean, we're doing some absolutely incredible things here in Ontario. And, you know, I think so much credit needs to go out to our farmers and the work that they're doing. Um, You know, they really are environmental stewards. And I think through sustainability, this provides us with an amazing platform to be able to tell that story. Um, You know, I think maybe that's one of the things we we maybe haven't done as well as, as an industry in the past is really getting out there and telling our story. And I think sustainability just provides another avenue to to do that and share the great things that our farmers are doing.
1: And interestingly, it's something that we can actually talk about because I know one of the challenges that, I, that I've had with the magazine and with working with you for market development is there's a lot of projects that you are working on that are amazing projects that you can't talk about because they're involving industry and and corporations and, and, and maybe like secretive, not secretive, but uh, proprietary information or, or they obviously don't want their competitors to know what they're doing. So, you know, there is, can you tell us actually maybe a bit about that part of your job in terms of uh, expanding new markets and, and, um, you know, increasing existing markets um, that we, uh, we are focusing on here in Ontario.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, our, our main goal in, in market development, like you said, is, is trying to create new marketing opportunities for farmers. And so uh, we spend a lot of time uh, working and partnering with uh, large retailers, uh, small and medium sized companies on trying to increase their utilization of Ontario grain and oil seeds. And, um, you know, it, it, it can be a little bit frustrating at times because a lot of the projects that we do have on the go, unfortunately, we, we just can't share publicly because um, currently the project's at a stage where it's proprietary and information and, and the company does not want that released to the public yet um, but you know we, we want to ensure members that we're doing a lot of work and there is a lot of stuff that's going on behind the scenes and um, we've got a couple of projects uh, kind of in on the go right now that we're pretty excited about and uh, in the next little while we should be able to, to be able to talk about those publicly which uh, which makes us pretty excited.
1: Can you tell us about one initiative that we can talk about right now?
2: Oh Yes, um, one initiative. Yeah, you know, I think um, that we're pretty excited about is is uh, we recently did some work with the Gordon Food Service, uh, who's one of the largest food distributors in in North America, on really trying to get their suppliers to source more local grain. And through that project, it's really kind of opened up our eyes to the food sector and what's available through the food sector. And so um, this is an initiative that we're actually going to be continuing on and um, and trying to work with other food partners, uh, restaurants, some of the other food distributors um, maybe even universities and hospitals really trying to get, um, you know, get them to, to be sourcing more local grains and, and oil seeds. So we're pretty excited about that and, and, you know, kind of stay tuned for more to come on that.
0: And, uh, another part of your job, and it kind of ties into a lot of the international travel you do with Nuffield, but, um, you are outgoing overseas a fair bit in the market development, uh, department and, uh, on trade missions. Can you tell us a bit more about, uh, those?
2: Yeah, when I first started with uh, Grain Farmers of Ontario, um, so I started as a market development coordinator and it was a brand new role at GFO. So it was, it was you know, kind of nice to be able to come in and really kind of help try and define what that role could be. But at the same time, we were also taking over managing the Canadian Soybean Council, which was a national producer-led organization that really focused in on uh, the promotion of food-grade soybeans in international uh, markets. And um, I had, you know, the great fortune of kind of, of taking on the management of that and, and as a result... Um, um, was really involved in a number of international trade missions that, that, Really promoted um, Canadian food grade soybeans, so I've had the opportunity to travel uh, quite extensively throughout Japan and, and Southeast Asia. Um, you know, meeting with a number of really wonderful uh, companies there, uh, talking about you know why why Canadian food grade soybeans are are uh, you know as as superior as they are, and, and why they should be purchasing from us versus some of our some of our competitors. Um, we're also you know doing other work, uh, not just on soybeans, but um, there's a lot of opportunity into the EU for corn um, as well. So looking to do some work over there potential trade missions heading over there. Um, We've also identified Latin America as as some potential opportunities. um, uh, And with some of the free trade agreements that we've got in place, uh, we we see that there could be a lot more um, opportunity on the export side of things.
1: So, Nicole, when we talk about traveling internationally, I've heard from a lot of people who have been on travels that um, we have a great reputation. And you mentioned that um, Soybeans are one of sort of our, our major exports that we uh, send out to the world. Um, what makes our soybeans so special and, and why is there such a great uptake on that?
2: Yeah, we've been uh, really fortunate. Um, you know, as you mentioned, uh, Ontario and, and Canada in, in general, we have an amazing reputation, especially in Japan and Southeast Asia for for producing pretty superior uh, uh, soybeans. And, you know, I think a lot of that credit has to go to our exporters who have spent years on on developing those markets. But, you know, I, I think for us, specifically in Ontario, one of the advantages that we have here is is oftentimes our soybeans are, are a lot higher in protein, uh, which is something that a lot of the soy food manufacturers are very interested in. Um, the other, uh, area that they're looking for is segregation as well. Um, Ontario has one of the best, if not the best segregation systems in the world, which allows us to grow GM and non-GM crops and guarantee kind of that purity, uh, for it. And that's definitely something that these, these end-use companies are, are looking for. A lot of them have very strong demand for, for non-GMO and, and for us to be able to kind of, you know, guarantee that in, in their shipments is, is really important. Um, you know, I think the other thing too is, is around sustainability, which we talked about. Um, when you go into these countries, Canada is really known for our Rocky Mountains, our pristine waterways and maple syrup. <laughs> those are kind of the three things. But, you know, I think it really allows us an opportunity to, to kind of build off of that reputation to really showcase the sustainable manner in which our crops are, are grown. And I think that really gives us a strong competitive advantage in those markets.
0: Great. And um, you were talking a little bit about when you first started here at uh, Grain Farmers of Ontario in the market development department. And, And how did you sort of make that move? I know we talked a little bit about your previous positions before, but jumping, I guess, back into agriculture.
2: Um, yeah. So I worked for the Toronto Blue Jays for about, uh, for about five years. Um, and then uh, actually it was for personal reasons that I, that I moved, uh, moved to Guelph and um, was, was commuting from Guelph to Toronto and, and really just, you know, that I, I commend people that do that every day. I, I am not one of them that can do it. And so was looking for something that was a little bit closer to home and, and saw, um, a, you know, an opportunity with grain farmers of Ontario. And I thought, oh, you know, I've got an agriculture background and I really love marketing. Like this, this sounds pretty incredible and, and applied and was really, fortunate to get the role and um, you know I think as I mentioned earlier it's it's just crazy kind of where life takes you and uh, you know I'm so fortunate that I kind of took that chance and applied and and very fortunate that Grain Farmers of Ontario took a chance on me and and hired me because you know I think it's allowed me to really truly find my passion and um, you know it's great to be back in agriculture.
1: And I feel like you've become sort of like this wealth of information when it comes to grains in ontario and and market development in general, but like whenever we need information you you just seem to know like I feel like we could play twenty questions i should have I feel like I should have prepared like a list of like like how many acres are we growing, and like what is the export you know number for like how much soybeans do we send us Japan and, and that you would have that information and and I guess I just wonder how do you keep all of that information in your head and how do you just seem to know so much
2: yeah, thanks for that. It's definitely a team effort. Uh, we've got a team of, of three people here in, in market development uh, and, and you know, a lot of, they do a lot of the, the behind the scenes work. I, I oftentimes just get to be the one that voices it, but they're really the ones that are doing doing a lot of the work. But, um, you know, we, we try and have central databases where we, we keep all of that information in place so that if a, a request comes through or a question is asked on that, we've got that information available. Um, you know, I always uh, am, am trying to, to read as much as I can and, and stay up to speed on kind of what's happening on world markets, um, really because, you know, they potentially could provide opportunities for us here in Ontario. So always trying to keep, you know, your pulse on on what's happening. Um, And we're really fortunate, um, you know, either through Statistics Canada or or working with our industry representatives. um, There's a lot of really great information out there. We just try and pull that in and and really create summaries for it and then, you know, make it available either internally for us here as staff, um, out to our members um, or out to media if they've got questions on it as well.
0: Uh, One thing I really like that uh, has come out of your department is the market utilization report. I know uh, we've got great feedback from farmers, and um, we talk about it a lot at farm shows. So how did that come together? And um, I think it's a great resource that we have here. So.
2: Yeah, this was something we had actually talked about doing for, for a couple of years. What we were finding is that, you know, we had a, a pretty good idea of, of where our grain was going and in what markets it was going into, but, you know, maybe didn't have um, sort of a def- definitive resource that could be really used to showcase exactly where our grains were coming from. And so, um, as an organization, we decided to undertake a, a full study. And Part of the challenge, um, uh, you know, and why we wanted to do this as well is that Statistics Canada does not always report supply and disposition information for Ontario. And that's because for some of our crops, there's only a couple of players that are involved. In, and for proprietary information sakes, they won't release that information. And so there was no real good data set that really showcased exactly where grains were going. And, um, you know, oftentimes we're getting asked questions on that and, and members have interest in that. And so we wanted to put together something that would be, um, you know, easy to read and easy to understand and and would be easy to be to get out to whether it be our members media industry that really just showcased exactly where Ontario grains and oil seeds are going to
1: and we're going to be updating that regularly
2: yeah. So what we're looking to do is, um, we did that study about two years ago now. So we're looking to do it every three years. So next year we'll be working on updating that. And and kind of the goal with that too is is you know we've sort of started with a a baseline uh, a couple of years ago with the report and and use that to really start to an, analyze you know are we seeing changes in the markets that our, our grains are going into? Uh, are there new opportunities that are coming forth? You know do we see uh, grain going into areas that we hadn't seen before? And, and and really using that as a resource tool for us to to you know put together strategies. Of, of where should we be putting our resources and in focus into.
0: Great. I think we're uh, coming up to our time here, Nicole. It's really tough because I feel like we could just keep talking. You have so many uh, great answers to all our questions. But um, we really look forward to seeing uh, your final Nuffield report when it's all done. And I'm sure it's going to be busy, but uh, we look forward to hearing how that all went.
2: Well, thank you very much. Yeah, it's been great, uh, been great chatting with you guys
0: today. We're starting here today with Barry Senth, our CEO at Grain Farmers of Ontario. Uh, and thank you for joining us. This is our, our first podcast. And uh, you just got back from Saskatchewan. And how's everything going on the farm?
3: Well, it's going well. The uh, seeding conditions uh, given as dry as it is. Uh, we've regained a lot of uh, acres that over the last six or seven, eight years, uh, because we were so wet, could not get out to seed. So from that perspective, it's pretty positive. we regained a lot of uh, land back. Uh, given that it's so dry is an issue that uh, we are going to need some moisture for some uh, even germination. But uh, hopefully by the end of the week, that will uh, resolve itself. So everything's going fine.
1: So Barry, one of the interesting things that uh, we always find is you have a, a good Western perspective on things as well as a strong a sense of Ontario agriculture. Um, we talk um Every issue of the magazine with our CEO update and in June, July's issue, which is just hitting our farmer members' mailboxes now. Our topic is trading observations. And we talked a bit about the interprovincial trade issues that came about with that recent Supreme Court ruling about transporting alcohol across border. So I'm sure you never bring back more than you're allowed from Saskatchewan. Absolutely not. Um, and how sort of that overall affects. Our reputation when we talk about broader trade issues, and there's a lot going on right now with NAFTA and Trump, and and so I'm just wondering if we could maybe update our farmer members because they might not realize that when we write the CEO update that we do it a couple weeks ahead of time.
3: Yeah, well, the uh, the, as as you mentioned, Rachel, the topic discussion for the next month was the interprovincial trade barriers and the ruling that there was back uh, a month or so ago on uh, transporting beer over the quebec new brunswick border and uh, as i mentioned in that is it's ironic that we're out in the world trying to uh to have um trade agreements open up that um that are good for both parties whether it's uh, nafta whether we just you know we're nicely into custa uh trying to do something with china uh, cptpp and out in the world stage trying to get these trade agreements for easier trade to happen and meanwhile, back at the ranch, back in Canada, they were having these issues as far as interprovincial trade issues. And I know, you know, and I, I'm not, uh, I, I'm not that expert in the, the issues that um, that uh, cause this to be of concern. But uh, I know, 25 years ago, as I mentioned in the article, I ran into an old school friend in Ottawa from Saskatchewan who was with the provincial government working on these issues back 25 years ago. Here we are. Uh, Two thousand and eighteen, with uh, issues still going to court about those, those cross border issues we 'd swear we 're separate countries, not uh, provinces within a country. so again, just an observation that it 's uh, maybe um, uh, an oxymoron or whatever way you want to describe it, as far as going out and trying to make uh, more liberal trade agreements while in the uh, well within Canada, we have these obstacles yet between the provinces.
0: And another thing we wanted to chat with you about, Barry, is um, Bill C-49. And we've been hearing a lot about this in the news and uh, its impact on Western uh, Canada. But I think as for agriculture as a whole, I know in Ontario we do more trucking here. But if you could just sort of talk to us about how that affects
3: uh, sure. grain. Sure. Well, C-49 is... Uh is legislation that's brought forward to uh, make the railways more accountable to their uh, to the grain industry. The issue with uh, the railways in Western Canada in particular is that there's a duopoly. There's CP and there's CN, and the only efficient way of moving grain to the ports is via rail. And so what you need to do in uh, when there is a lack of competition is that you need to put in um, regulations to uh, mimic the... Uh, the uh, the competition and what C-49 does is start to put those rules into place to give them some incentive to perform on behalf of their customers and not just their shareholders. A lot of the emphasis over the last 10 years has gone to the accountability of the shareholder and with that having a significant negative impact to uh, to that of, um, of their customers. So hopefully this balances that out more that uh, both are being looked after.
0: Great. Thank you, Barry. And uh, you'll be joining us about once a month here on the podcast to give us a bit of a CEO update. Well, thank
3: you guys. This is uh, great. (laughs) Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to our first Grain Talk podcast. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. We'd like to thank our special guests, Nicole McKellar and Barry Senth, and a special thank you to our producer, Mark Carter.
0: And don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share if you've enjoyed this podcast.